Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. continuing to pick back up with our message series that we started a couple weeks ago called What Would Jesus Undo? If you're not familiar with that, maybe you are familiar with the little bracelets, the WWJD bracelets that were going around back in the late 90s, early 2000s, which were an idea around, you know, when you come up against a life circumstance, what is it that, you know, Jesus would do in this circumstance? And then the idea was to sort of orient your behavior around that thing. Well, there are parts of scripture where Jesus was actually not the one that we like to talk about, right? You know, the one that the fluffy, loving Jesus. There were moments where Jesus was really critical of certain topics, things that he that he despised, that made him heart his heart broke, and that he would rail against. And so we're talking about those things. There are areas of our lives that Jesus would undo. And so we began our series the first two weeks by talking about indifference. Jesus would undo indifference. We talked uh, the, the following week about hollow worship, you know, like giving God songs but not really singing from our heart or living our lives with our heart. Well, today we're going to continue by talking about a a difficult topic. And this one is one that most of us probably would say, I don't think I struggle with this. And that is spiritual pride, spiritual pride. And Here's my prayer for you and for me this week. It's really been challenging me. I've been wrestling with it as I've been preparing for this message. I think most of us in the room would be like, I don't deal with pride, especially as a faith individual. I don't think I'm better than anybody else. I don't deal with this idea. Like, I think I'm a humble person. I'm very thoughtful about how I approach my faith and, and those types of things. But here's what I would say to you is that one of the most important things that you can do is look someone in the eye and tell them the truth. And today what we're going to do is we want, I want to allow the scripture to do that. I want to allow the words of Jesus to challenge our assumptions and to, to speak to us. And so don't think of me as Jared saying this to you. Think of it as, because what I'm trying to do is I'm saying, God, speak through me today. So I just want to open our hearts to hear what God might say. But I want to begin by telling you a story about pride. So when I was in high school, um, Actually, in eighth grade, near the end of my eighth grade year, this is like the most legendary story that I ever tell. In the end of my eighth grade year, there was a friend of mine who was, uh, who, who was being bullied in the gym class. And he had taken uh, his, like we came back, you know, the class where you have to get changed back in the days. I think you used to wear uniforms in like gym class. Um, so we go into the locker room and his friend, my friend's shoes were missing. And this, the kid who stole them was like mocking him. And he had been a bully to me for a really long time. And finally, I stood up to this bully. We got into a fight. And I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, um, you know, advocate fighting or violence. But in this case, I stood up for myself and I won the fight. And it was like the most legendary thing ever. Like, I actually broke this kid's nose. Like, sorry, guy. But like, so yeah, like, and it was, you know, I felt awesome. Because, I mean, for like two years, this guy had been bullying me. He had been bullying my friends. And so I carried that with me into my freshman year. By this time, people had heard the stories of the legend of Jared Lanza whipping this kid, okay? So um, fast forward a little bit. You know, I had begun to get a little bit cocky, you know, a little bit um, just, you know, feeling really like I could do anything. And so one of my friend's brothers... Um, was a, uh, an upperclassman in high school, and he didn't like something that I said, but I didn't back down from him. Because at this point, I'm like, I can do whatever I want, man. Like, I could, 
you know, and so he's like wants to fight me. I guess I don't remember what the topic was. I ticked him off enough to where he actually wanted to, he was like, you better shut your mouth. And if you don't, I'm going to like punch you. And I was like, whatever, man, I would totally beat you in a fight because didn't you hear about what I did? Like that's, that was literally what it was like. So um, it didn't go well for me. What ended up happening was is I was mouthing off and all of a sudden he just goes right in my stomach, like right here in the solar plex, right? And it was like, it was like in the movies where you're at the locker and all of a sudden, right against the locker and then and sliding all the way down. I melted to the ground. One punch, I was done. And I'm on the floor. I have no air in my lungs. He knocked the wind out of my body. And I remember just sitting there, like, <clears throat> trying to, like, breathe. And I look up, and I see a smirk on his face. And he, I don't even remember what he said. All I could think is, I'm dying. I'm going to die right here on the floor. And, and he, like, walks away. He says something like, I told you, and he walks away. And I was embarrassed. I had completely just overestimated my sense of, like, I don't know, military tactic or, like, martial arts ability or just the ability to, to like, fight. And what I realized that day was that the, the moment that I had where I fought this bully was, like, was, like, a special moment that maybe, I don't know, that the Lord gave me some, like, quick ability to do something, but it was not a normal thing for me. I was so full of pride right, in that moment that I thought that I was better than I really was. And that's what pride is, is a misplaced sense of worth or value, a misplaced sense of worth or value. And Jesus told a story in Luke chapter 18. If you guys want to begin turning there, get your Bibles out or on your smartphones, your tablets. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, Jesus tells a story of two guys, and he tells a story about pride, right? Two guys going to the same place for the same reason, and one guy is a Pharisee. Yay! Like, if you're hearing the story, you're thinking, this is the good guy, right? And then there's the other guy, the tax collector. Boo! Bad guy, okay? So in the Bible days, Pharisee was good guy, tax collector was bad guy. And they go to the temple to pray. The temple was the place where they had to go, right? Where if you wanted to have a relationship with God, you had to go because the temple represented the physical manifestation of where God lives. So you go to the temple and you pray, and Jesus tells us what they pray. And one of these guys leaves in a right place before God, and one of them does not. And the one that does is not the one that you think, or you've heard enough Bible stories where you already know this is going. But the point is, is that we're talking about pride here. Now, verse 9, Luke chapter Uh, 18, verse 9, this is what Jesus says. He says, he also told this parable. A parable is a story, like a a story that maybe happened or maybe didn't happen, used to teach a lesson. So he tells this parable to some people who trusted in themselves. That's interesting. I don't know that, that, that we see that anywhere else in Scripture, where it actually says the kind of audience he was talking to specifically. Jesus was talking a parable to people who trusted in themselves. So apparently he looked out at the crowd and was like, several of these people, we don't know how he knew, he just knew that several of them trusted in themselves, and in fact that they thought that they were righteous people and that they viewed others with contempt. So Jesus tells a story. He's addressing the crowd, right? The concept of spiritual pride is that when we trust in ourselves, we have confidence in ourselves, and what happens is that pride oftentimes chooses, causes us to look down on other people or to compare ourselves to other people. And the problem with it is what it does is that it affects our relationship with God, but it also affects our relationship with other people, right? When I'm filled with pride, it affects my relationships with God and with other people. So here's what happens. In verse 10, Jesus says this, two men went into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee 
and the other was a tax collector. Now, so here's what you need to know about this. The two men, one was a Pharisee. This is a respected guy, okay? Um, he was raised in the, in the ministry. Pharisees were the religious leaders of the time. They were like pastors or church leaders. In fact, by the age of five, Pharisees would have known, would have memorized the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, right? Those five books, and I don't mean like he would have been able to memorize them in order. I mean literally every single verse would have known it by heart and could have recited it by the age of five, okay? There were 613 laws in the Old Testament, 613, and Pharisees knew and lived out every single one of them in like in perfect detail, okay? So they were respected individuals. These are people who essentially like a pastor or a, a cardinal or a bishop or someone who had authority religiously. They were trained. They went to school. And when they said, this is how you interpret this law, interpret this, this is how you live your spiritual habit, these things, they were respected. And that, so that's the pain of the picture here, right? Now, on the other hand, a tax collector, there's not really a modern version of what the Bible describes as a tax collector. We think of a tax collector like an IRS guy. They're not our friend, but I don't like, they're not corrupt unless your political leanings say otherwise. But generally speaking, a tax collector in the Bible days, they were despised individuals. They were like mafioso muscle, or they were like, like maybe a, a, a corrupt politician. The idea was is that Rome had overtaken Israel. So the Roman Empire right, is now taxing all these people. So this tax collector, not only did he have the job of doing taxes for the local jurisdiction of you know, Israel, but they were double taxed because they had to take money and send it back to Rome. But on top of that, that wasn't, that wasn't enough. These tax collectors oftentimes would take more money than they, than they needed, and they would take it off the top and then pad their own bank accounts with it. So think of like, like in mafia movies that you see where the guy walks into the grocery store and he like holds his hand out and the guy, little poor shop owner, has to open his little register and he's got to grab the money. And then the guy's like, but I got to pay the bills. Like I haven't had any customers. And what does the guy do? He goes, I don't care. That's not my problem, right? That's what these tax collectors would do. They would go to every person, every business. They would basically reach into their pockets and take all their money and they were living like millionaires, like rich, rich, rich people, okay? So this is what was happening. So these two guys... Jesus starts a story with. It looks pretty straightforward, right? Good guy, bad guy. We know this story. This is Luke, Skywalker, and Darth Vader, right? That's what we see here, okay? This is Eleven and the monster from the upside down, right? This is Jim and, uh, and Dwight in the office. Like, this is pretty easy to understand, right? But it's not as straightforward as you think. Verse 11 says this. The Pharisees stood and was praying to himself, praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. So the, the Pharisees' prayer is a run of religious things, right? It's a religious rules. I do all the right things. I'm the right guy. I look the part, right? I'm a good person. I am better than the people around me. Look around here. I'm comparatively good. Thank you, God, that I'm not like all of these other people who, you know, are like the rabble of society. And here's the thing is that the Pharisee wasn't completely wrong, right? I mean, he, he followed the religious uh, the rules. He followed the, the plan that was outlined in the Old Testament. The problem was is that he became to, began to think that the way he lived was a gift to God. 
And here's the problem that we do, because we think the same way, right? And so before we kind of look down our noses at this Pharisee, it would be really wise of us to acknowledge the Pharisee that lives inside of each one of us. Every one of us do this too in some form or fashion. He started, started to think about the good things that he had in his life, started to think about the good ways that he lived, the patterns and the habits that he lived, not as a gift from God. Thank you, God, that I, I now have to have the ability to live in a righteous way, that I, I, I'm, I'm a different person than I used to be. Instead of that, it now becomes, you know, I'm thank, I thank God that I am that way. And now it becomes like I'm a gift to God. I'm, I'm like God uses me. I am the answer to a lot of society's problems. Instead of, God, thank you so much that I have the opportunity to go to church on a Sunday and, and be a part of a place where every single week God meets me and speaks to our heart and I see lives being changed. It's, God, you're welcome that I showed up to church today. Sometimes we say things like, God, instead of saying, God, thank you for the gift of my children, that I have the opportunity to raise them and to love them and to give them a home and, and to, to help them understand who you are and to meet you and to, to, to raise them to know Jesus. Instead, it's, you're welcome that I brought my kids to church today. You know, because we stop seeing the good things in our lives as gifts from God, and instead we begin to treat them as gifts to God, like for God, as if somehow he needs it. And here's what spiritual pride does. It falsely promises three things. Number one, self-sufficiency, right? When I'm prideful, I think I've got this. I don't need anybody else. I don't need anything. I have it together. I do the right things. I'm a good person. I'm self-sufficient. It also tells us that we're self-important, right? I'm valuable. Self-sufficiency, self-importance is I live in the right neighborhood, um, you know, the guest services team could not possibly operate if I weren't here on a Sunday. Or my life group would fall apart if it weren't for me. Like, this is the concept of the person who, of, of spiritual pride is self-importance, right? The idea. Self-exaltation is another one. I'm better. And this is hard because I think most of us are like, I don't think I'm better than anybody else. Everybody look at me. Right? I've got the right kind of car or, you know, I want people to tell me that I'm a good person. I need people to validate me. And here's what I'm saying is that the inward emotion that we feel gets directed outwardly. So whatever the emotion is that we feel inside ends up coming outward. I want to tell you a, a story that this is like how it was like for me. As a kid, I grew up in a home that we didn't have a lot of money. And so oftentimes, I was given hand-me-down clothes. Anybody ever been that, like the hand-me-downs, right? So as a child, I began, my parents did a really good job of helping me understand the purpose of hand-me-downs. They said, the reason why we, we, we wore those clothes is because, you know, hey, you know, these are, and that's a nice shirt, and this is a nice, you know, pair of pants, and somebody gave them to us, and they blessed us. And so I remember feeling, like, really good about having the hand-me-downs. But something happened, and then I grew up, got out of the house, and got a job. And once I started doing that, I went, started going to Express, and I started going to The Gap, and I wanted to buy clothes that were, you know, more name brand. And what happened in my heart was, is I started to feel like, oh, I have these. Instead of me thinking, like, I'm thankful that I have them. God, thank you for the ability to get these things. I started looking at other people who dressed a little bit. Maybe they didn't have name brands. Maybe they didn't look the right way. And I started to look down on people like that. Interestingly enough, the same thing happened with restaurants. And people call me a food snob, and it's probably true. But when I was a kid, or even sometimes in our adult life, I remember we didn't have a lot of money, things were tight, and we would go to the dollar menu at 
McDonald's, right? We would go out um, and we would, or we would go to like the Ponderosa or Sizzler, like these types of places that don't have a lot of money. They're cheap, uh, you know, types of places that people would go eat. And for us, it was a necessity, but it was also fine. There was nothing wrong with it. But then I grew up, I got a job and had more money and then lived into the city and, you know, started going to restaurants that were a little bit higher quality. And then before long, I started to be that person who would look at people who go to the Golden Crown like, oh, I don't ever go to buffets. Like, I was that guy. Like, I started to look down. What happened was the inward emotion that was inside of me, right, it shifted. Something happened inside of me from where I used to be grateful and thankful for what I had. And then because I got become so used to it, it became more of I now began to look down and compare other people. I lost the heart of it. And the thing is, is that we fall into the trap of thinking that what we produce our accomplishments, our gifts, the rules that we follow, our comparison to others, we fall into trap to believe that that's where our value comes from. And that misplaced value becomes pride. And so we're not that different from the Pharisee. We often compare ourselves as parents, right? We look around at other parents who go, man, they're terrible parents. I would never let my kid do that, right? That's pride. We, you know, we'd say like, oh, look at that person at work. Look how much time they spend before and after work. Look at how they're always doing projects for their boss. I would never be, I don't have to do that. Like, it's pride. We're comparing ourselves to people. Some of us say, I don't need God. Why would I need God? I live a life that is happier and more kind than some Christians that I know. Why do I need God, right? There's a spiritual element to it. I mean, if, if you're a Christian and there's somebody who's not a follower of Jesus and they're more kind and more generous, then you better check your heart. Like, you might be not living the way that we should, and perhaps, you know, there's a pride that's involved in you or in in that person who says, I don't need that because I'm fine on my own. Some people, it's fault finding. You go, well, it's not me. I'm not the problem. Look at everybody else. Everybody else is the problem. Like, man, the way they raise their kids, the way they spend their money. And you're blind to maybe some of the things in your life, maybe areas that you're contributing to the problem. And for some of us, it's attention-seeking. Pride kind of comes out in that space. Like things like I'm looking around during worship or the way I serve, the way I dress. I got to make sure that my appearances are up properly. You know, on social media, I got to make sure that my posts look the right way. I want people to know that when I post Bibles, like Bible messages on three days a week, that they know that like I'm a good person, I'm a spiritual person. Like whatever it might be, you know, oftentimes pride shows up in so many different ways. But here's what I would say is that I've been ministry in ministry for over 15 years. And most of us in the room would say, I don't think I'm super awesome, right? Most of us are like, they don't, I don't think we struggle with spiritual pride in a sense of like, the, I'm, I'm so good, look at me, which is kind of the model that we see in this Pharisee passage. I think that most of us struggle with more of a sneaky version of it, which I would call reverse spiritual pride. And it's things like this. I can't receive a compliment, right? Someone says, oh, those are awesome shoes that you've got. And instead of going, thanks. The answer becomes, oh, well, you know, it's a big deal. I got it at a thrift store. You know, I didn't spend any money on it at all. And, uh, you know, it's better to be lucky, right? That, that's kind of like, like that's, a, that's a reverse spiritual pride. It's a, it's a comparison that we, we actually feel like we're not worthy of something, right? The opposite space of that. Or the I could never. This is another version of reverse spiritual pride. I could never lift my hands in worship. Or God could never use me. I, I'm not, you know, I could never be a part of a leadership team. Like, I could never, I could never, I could never. I'm not good enough. I don't have, like, that pride gets in the way in the opposite direction. It makes you feel like you're not good enough for anything. Or woe is me. There are people who live their lives and everybody's against them. Man, I just deserve better kids. I deserve a better job. I deserve more money, right? Like that gets in the way of how we live our lives. And the problem is the exact same as the Pharisees. Why? Because 
the value is still based on me. No matter whether we're haughty about it or we're completely self-dejecting about it, if the value of who we are is based on myself and what I've done, what I've accomplished, or who I am and how I rate against other people, that's a, that's a spiritual pride issue. What would Jesus undo? He would undo spiritual pride. And so here's what I would say to you. If you're taking notes, write this down. When we are full of ourselves, there is no room for God. When we're full of ourselves, there is no room for God. If I'm full of my pride, I'm full of my comparisons, I'm full of, um, you know, all the things that I think are good about me, I'm probably missing what God might be wanting to do in my life, speak in my life, say in my life. But the opposite is true. If I'm empty because I don't feel like I, if I'm not full of, of pride, but I'm empty, instead I'm full of comparison. I'm, I'm full of worry. I'm full of thinking that I don't measure up. It's equally the same. I can't be used by God. I can't experience God. I can't, um, there is no room for him to work in my life because I'm either filling it with myself, my own self-worth, my own value, or I'm filling it with excuses or I'm filling it with fear and pride and, and doubt and, and comparisons with other people. But Jesus shows us a different way. Let's keep reading in verse 13. So this is what the tax collector does. The tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes. So we saw the, we saw the, the, the Pharisee, you know, his head up high. He's standing up in the front, and he's like, I'm not like these other people. But the, the tax collector, the one who's like the despised individual, standing a distance away, not even worthy, like can't even lift his head up to, to heaven, it says, was beating at his breast, his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Like this guy had every reason to fear walking into a church. I mean, I don't know if you have friends or maybe yourself, you're like, I don't know if I go to church. What I did this week, God might strike the building with lightning. Like that idea, like there are people who carry it. And the tax collector had every reason to feel that way because he'd stolen from people. He had used and abused people. He padded his own life and gave himself comfort. He lied and, and swindled and whatever it is, right? But Jesus points out that this particular man actually had the right heart when he came to heaven, when he came to the, to the temple. The Bible is showing like the one guy who did all the right things, who wore the, the right clothes, he, he lived all the rules, like he did everything the Bible said he should do, and yet his heart was in the wrong place. This dude walks in, it's completely a mess, and recognizes his own spiritual condition, recognizes that he has failed, he's screwed up, that he's not worthy, and he cries out, God, please help me. And why does he do that? Why? because he understood that he would not measure up without God's assistance. In fact, literally, in order for him to make it right according to the law, what he would have had to have done is pay back every single cent that he had stolen plus 20%. So even if he took all the money and put it into a bank account and never touched it, which he didn't, I'm sure he was like buying a big house and all the things that you know people would do with money, he doesn't have the extra 20% to make it right. So he walks into the temple and he's like, there is no way that I could ever, like for whatever reason, we don't know how or why he got convicted about his lifestyle. Maybe he had heard Jesus, you know, another day and a month later, he was like, I got to go. Maybe that's your story. Maybe you're here today or you started your journey with Jesus because you had heard about him at one point and then, and then, and then like years later, 
you're like, my life is, I can't do this anymore. And you walked in and your thought was, but I'm not, I don't know what the right words to say. I feel like, am I worthy to be here? And the answer is no. So if you're in a place right now where you're like, like I'm frustrated, I feel like I'm unworthy in my life. If you knew the things that I've done or the things that I carry in my life, this is exactly where God wants you to be because he wants to intervene with grace and mercy and forgiveness. And so Jesus painted this picture, the tax collector, it's this guy who just has no business being there. But he's emptied himself out and not filling with comparisons. He didn't care what anybody else said. He was like, I recognize my existence, my state, where I'm at right now, and I need mercy, God. And what happens? Verse 14, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went to his house justified rather than the other, the Pharisee. For everybody who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. It was a tax collector who went home justified. The tax collector who went home forgiven and and right before God, not the Pharisee. So here's what I would say to you. Is that when we empty ourselves, so when we're full of ourselves, there's no room for God. The opposite is when we empty ourselves and and accurately give ourselves the the right situation of God, I can't measure up. I'm sorry. This is, I, I can't do anymore. I need you. When we empty ourselves, we're in the perfect position to be filled by grace, right? When we're filled with pride, we're filled with ourselves, there's no room for God to operate. There's no hope for us. But when we empty ourselves and we come before him and say, I, don't, I can't fix this. I don't know what else to do. God, just help me. Give me mercy. We are in the perfect position to be filled by God's grace. And here's, my, here's the challenge for spiritual pride. There is no silver bullet. It doesn't just go away on its own. There's no way. It's like an onion. You have to peel back the layers. And it's a process that we go through. And I want to share a little bit with you about my personal struggle with, with this, with pride. You know, I've always been a pretty smart guy um, in school. You know, I was always able to get really good grades, and I never really had to study. I, I would did well with tests, and I know people in the room right now, they're like, I hate you. You're that kind of guy. Um, you know, so I came out of college thinking I was pretty hot stuff, you know. I remember I, I was, like, eating up leadership books. I was studying how to be a really good leader. And my first job right out of, right out of school was a youth pastor position at a big church, like, like a church of, like, 800 people. And I was a youth pastor there, and so I was like, oh, this is, of course, my life is going to be on this path because this is who I am. Like, I was so full of myself. I thought I was such hot stuff. And then, I, but I was such a jerk. I was such an arrogant little jerk. I remember being on staff at that church and, like, thinking that I knew better than the lead pastor there. I remember moving to Pittsburgh and being a part of the staff um, at a church in the south side, and I was part of that. And I was better then, but I still felt like I, you know, was like this leadership guru, like I knew everything. And then we planted this church, and I thought, again, I was like, man, this church is going to be God's gift to this city. And, you know, I thought everything was going to be the way that we, that I pictured it to be. And God has called us to pastor a small church, a small church of 30, 40, 50 people. And that's what it's been. And you know what? Here's the deal is that because I pastored a small church, I felt small. That's how I felt. I felt like a small person. Why? Because I was dealing with the concept of that what I did, what I produced, 
My accomplishments was the measure of who I was as a person. And so in the end, I thought that I was either better than other people and I was frustrated that I couldn't make something be what I thought it should be. Certainly, I'm not doing anything wrong. Or I felt the opposite, which was I'm not good enough. I can't do anything right. And constantly felt like I was missing it. And it felt like I was comparing myself to other people and I was miserable. That's spiritual pride. And maybe you're in a place where you deal with something similar. Maybe right now, you have a child, a kid who's gone off the rails, or you're not sure how to manage them or handle them, and you're like, I can't fix it. I don't know what to do. You've tried everything. You don't know how to help or how to fix it. Maybe you're in a financial situation where you're on the verge of bankruptcy, and you feel like, I can't. God, there's nothing else that I can do. I'm not good enough. I can't pay my bills. Every time I make stupid decisions, I'm constantly making poor decisions with my finances. I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. It's a mess, and I don't know how to dig myself out of this hole. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's been rough for years. You don't know how to communicate. You've tried everything, but you don't know how to make it work, much less make it great. And so what we do is we hide, right? We hide how we truly feel. We prop ourselves up. We try to look good. We don't want people to know that we are going through these types of things. We compare ourselves to others to feel better about it, or we hate ourselves because we don't measure up. God has used the last several years to slowly strip away layer after layer of pride and and self-worth and those things. Not that I, and you know what, here's the thing, is that at the end of this process, I can stand here to you before you today and say, I honestly, I'm at peace in my heart because I don't, I don't have this concept that the worth that I produce or that I am is anything contingent upon whether I have a job or not or whether my bills are paid or not, whether our church is 50 or 500. Like I have come to a place where God has slowly begun to peel back, like those layers, right? Peel them back to where I'm at peace and my worth is because of who he says I am. Like that song we sang today, I'm a child of God. And that means that I am loved. That means that the very fact that I exist gives me value and gives me worth. And from that place, I have a heart that says, God, thank you. That's why I can worship him in the, in the horrible situations and still be like, but God, you're good. You love me. Because at the end of the day, that's how I sleep well at night. And that's what God is, I think, trying to say to us here is that when we empty ourselves, we are in the perfect position to be filled by grace. But also, and we'll close with this, when we empty ourselves, we're in the perfect position to be used by God. You know, that's why I love to tell the stories that I do. I mean, I have this fear that as your pastor, I'm going to like tell stories and you're going to be like, I don't want to listen to Pastor Jared anymore because he struggles with a lot of stuff, right? This is my fear as a pastor. But I have made a decision a long time ago. And I think this is kind of the concept here is when we empty ourselves, we're in the perfect position to be used by God. Notice that most of the time I don't say this is what I'm currently struggling with. Usually, it's around the concept of what God has done in my life. And I think that's so valuable for us to share those stories. Because now, I have the opportunity to be used by God to maybe help you understand how you struggle with that and how you can come through it on the other side. That's not to say that I'm like boastful or pushing myself up. But, but God can't use us if, until we are empty and, and whole and healed in those spaces. And there's still a whole lot more of onion that God's peeling back in my life and other areas of my life. But this particular topic, the last couple of years, God has really done work on. And I can stand before you this morning and I can say that God has done a huge work in my life. I'm at peace in my life. 
because of God has, has worked through that in me. And I've, I've, I've cried out to him. There have been so many nights and days where I've said, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fix what these things and God has showed me. Just be who I've called you to be. Don't look at other people. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about the money that you have. Don't worry about the job that you have. Don't worry about the clothes that you wear. Don't worry about the place that you live. Don't worry about those types of things. Just worry and be the man that God's called you to be. Learn from me. Listen to me. And I will teach you. Humility is not weakness. Pride is weakness because it's fake strength. Humility is actually understanding the accurate representation of my plight and relying on God through it. That's what humility is. It's just saying, like the tax collector did, this is my situation. I can do nothing about it. God, help me. That's humility. And it is the satisfaction in whatever God wants to do, whether it's spectacular or ordinary. That's humility. The satisfaction of, God, I'm a pastor of a church of 50 people. Thank you, God, that I have the ability to know them by name and be able to love them and serve them and know their stories. You know, if I spend all my time worrying about why can't I be a church of that guy over there and that guy over there, why I'm miserable. Whatever that means in your life, that might be like, you know, I'm sorry, Jared, that you deal with that as a pastor, but I think we all deal with that. Why can't I have that promotion? Why can't I have that job? Why can't I have that car? Why can't I have that friend or that boyfriend or husband? You know, whatever the station is in your life right now, whether it's spectacular or ordinary, humility means being satisfied with whatever God wants to do. I believe he wants to do something in you before he's going to do something through you. God wants to use you. But we can't receive his grace. We can't receive and we can't be used by him if we're full of our pride, if we're thinking about other people, if we're too worried about what other people are doing. So pride, we'll finish with this, is about my glory. But humility is about God's glory. It's saying, God, I can't, but you can. And so what can we do? An action step. If you guys want to stand with me, we're going to close with this. There's a lot of things we could probably say right, about how to combat spiritual pride. But just one action step today. Try this. Whenever a situation comes along, ask yourself, is this about my glory or is this about God's glory? Is the thing that I want to do, is my thought that I'm thinking right now, is that going to prop me up or is it going to give God glory? Are the things that I do going to bring attention to myself and make me feel better about myself or is it is it about God? And I'm not talking that saying that you can't have good things, you can't have compliments. I'm not saying that. What I am saying, though, is if that feeds you and makes you feel like you are a worthy person, then what you're really trying to do is build misplaced value. You're already valuable because of who God says you are. This is child. You were created in his image. So ask yourself, is this about me or is this about God? This emotion, this fear, this pride, this insecurity, this decision. When I walk out on a Sunday morning, am I worried about my flannel looking a certain way? Is my hair okay? That's a pride issue. Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said, In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Pride is about my glory. Humility is about God's glory. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we hear the words of your son, Jesus, and it's challenging, it's hard, 
We may not identify with every piece of this message, and that's fine. That's not the point. I think the point is for us to understand, are there spaces in our lives where we have propped ourselves up, either intentionally or even unintentionally, to make ourselves feel better, whether it's because we have more than another person or we have less and we're holding that to make us feel better about ourselves. Whatever it might be, God, I pray that you would crush that pride in our hearts. We're not talking about pride in a team or pride that we are good people, but the pride that causes us to think better of ourselves than we are. The pride that causes us to feel as though we have like this misplaced sense of it in our hearts. I repent of that. God, may we be like the tax collector, the one who thinks about what we have and, and in the right position says, God, thank you that you saved me. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the blessings in my life. I want to use them not for myself, but so that other people, I want to, I want to, I want to remember, I never want to forget that where I came from, I want to give you glory. I want to use the things that I have for your glory. I want to use the money that you've given me to help other people. I want to use the clothes. I want to open doors and to tell stories. I want people to be able to see you. And if there's anything in our lives that is actually a barrier to that, I pray that you would shine a light on it this week, Holy Spirit. Shine a light on those things and show show us how they might be controlling us or giving us a misplaced sense of value. But I pray above all things that each one of us this morning would would really understand the innate value that we have because we're simply your children. That you love us because you made us. And that the things that we do or don't do is not where our value comes from. If there's anybody in the room today who's struggling with that, they don't feel good enough. They feel weak. They feel like they've sinned way too much. They feel like their life is full of shame or guilt. I want you to know that you can lay that down. Just like the tax collector did. All he did is he just lifted his head to heaven and he said, God, have mercy on me. That's what it means to begin to follow Jesus. Just saying, God, I can't can't keep this up. Give me mercy. I believe you are who you say you are. And because of that, I am who you say I am. So God, as we close this morning, deal with us in this area of pride. And let us remember that you love us. Jesus is Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.